greetings to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be here? Amen, amen. I think there's a lot of people that forgot it Sunday. Wow. Uh, it is great to be here in the house of the Lord today, though, and we just thank you for each one that is here. Uh, for those that are listening online and watching online, we thank you for joining us. But let's go to the Lord. Uh, you know, Today, we look at Psalms 18. It says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and makes and my place of safety. I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. So today we call upon him and we praise him as our Lord and Savior. We pray for protection and for guidance and for his deliverance on our lives. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and God, we join together with one heart at one table, praising and worshiping the one and true God. As we do that, I pray that you would receive our words and our songs as a sweet incense unto you. As we join together with all of those across this community of Rock Hill, across the state of South Carolina, and across the United States today, God, we worship you corporately because you or God above all, and that you are the one that has created all things and sustains all things. And you alone are worthy of our praise, and we lift them up to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I do have some, a few announcements for you this morning. For those of you that were able to be here for the memorial service this morning, thank you so much for that. Uh, we have the candles that are lit, uh, you know, in, in honor or in memory of those lives uh, that's, uh, you know, that we honored today. So just continue to lift up and to remember those families. Also, I don't know if you picked one of these up, but uh, these are out in the foyer. They should be on the table for you out there. And it's just simply, it says, Sponsor a Teen 2021. And there's an envelope that's attached to it, okay? So our youth group, our teens, are going to the beach for a uh, teen retreat. Um, and we are asking for the congregation here to sponsor the, uh, you know, those uh, you know, teenagers and the uh, workers as well on that. Uh, so you can take this and look and you can give $20, $50, or $100. If you want to give $200, you can do that as well. If you want to give $500, you can do that too. So you're not limited to just the numbers that's on this paper. Give what, you, what God would have for you to give and help the teens and stuff in the church to be able to make it to this trip. So grab one of these, okay, and then put it into the envelope and set it into the offering boxes. That would be great if you could do that for us. And be mindful of all the activities that we have going on throughout the week with the uh, Tuesday evening prayer group that's here at the church, Wednesday evening service, and then also uh, immediately following, or not immediately following the service, but this evening at 5 o'clock, we will have our discipleship group here at the church as well. All right, so let us stand as we worship and praise God this morning. It's good to have you here today. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Amen. We're here to praise him and lift him up for what he's done for us. Amen. Oh, how he loves you and me this morning. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he give? Oh, how he loves you, oh, how he loves me, oh, how he loves you and me. 
Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wondered how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sin and my sorrow, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He loved us so much he gave his life for us. <clears throat> and on top of that, he suffered a lot. You know that, don't you? He died for you and me and all the stripes and all the pain that he did. He done it for you and me today. And that's why we're here today, to praise him for what he's done for us. And God is good to us, folks. And no matter what happens during the years, I've decided a long time ago to follow him. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The walls before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Have you decided? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Amen. I'm glad I decided a long time ago to follow him. You know, I can, I can just imagine on the shores of where Peter and the rest of them were fishing that day. And Christ came to them. He said, Peter, lovest thou me? Go feed my sheep. He did that three times. And Peter finally said, Lord, you know I love you. I'll do anything for you. That's what he's calling the church today to do. To go out and win people to Christ for what he's done for our lives. It's a glorious church that's without spot or wrinkle. And that's, that's us today. We need to be glorious about what we say and about what we do to win people for Christ. Because God himself give us that challenge to go out and win. Amen? Amen. Now I want you to sing with me this morning. This is a good old song. It is a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Amen? Amen. Do you hear them coming, brother? 
rolling up the steeps of light. Light a glorious shining garments, blood-washed garments pure and white. Here's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now I hear the anthem filling all the earth and sky. Never fear. Here's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Here's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Never fear the clouds of sorrow, never fear the storms of sin. We shall triumph for tomorrow, even now our joys begin. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. How many believe it's a glorious church? Amen? Well, I want you to sing it like it's a glorious church. If I cut my microphone off, can I hear you? Amen. We serve a risen Savior. He's out there today. He's living in our hearts. Amen? It's a glorious church. This, church, this building's not the church. We're the church. And we need to be out just taking care of His own. Amen? We bring them into this building to fellowship and worship with Him. Amen? This last, last little verse on this song, he says, Never uh, wave the banner and shout His praises, for our victory is nigh. Oh, you know, one day, folks, He's coming back after His church. Now, who is coming back at? Is He going to come back after this building, or is He coming back after you? Amen. We need to sing it like that. Amen. All right, let's sing the last verse, would you? Wave the banner, shout his praises, for our victory is nigh. We shall join our conquering Savior. Resuring with him on high is a church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Is a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb. One more time. Is a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. We have a glorious church. And that church is us, folks. God called us into a ministry. No matter who you are, He's called us into that ministry. And no matter where we go, if you're a child of God, you have to raise him up. You have to give him glory. You have to praise him. Because he loved us enough to die for us. We should love him enough to give our lives to him. Amen. Next little course is easy. I want to serve him. As long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I have praise on my lips, I want to serve him. 
and give him praise for what he's done for us. Sing this with me, would you? I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to me. I was nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch was what I longed for. You have given life to me. He has challenged us today. He has a message for us today. The pastor does. Christ has a message for you today. I want to serve him. I want to go out and tell others about his love for me and what he's done for us. That's what the church is about, folks, is telling others. As we sing this again, you think about it. How many people have you invited to church this week? How many telephone calls have you made? Just say it. I will serve him. I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to me. I was nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Heartaches, broken pieces, ruined lives are why you died on Calvary. Your touch was what I longed for. You have given life to You may be seated. So, this morning as we come together, I, uh, there's, there's times in our lives that uh, things kind of become blurry, right? You know, there's, there's times that there is so much that is going on that we lose track of what day it is. Now, yeah, for those of you that are retired, I imagine you, use, you lose track of what day it is during the week, you know, fairly regular. Okay, good. idea. Yeah. But whenever you have to get up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and go to work, it, you kind of keep up with those things. But life in itself is extremely busy these days, and it really is getting busier as we continue to go along through this life. But there are moments and times that even in that busyness, at least for me it is, so I'll speak for myself, that things have a tendency to just simply fall in place and to come together without you even knowing it. Have you ever experienced those things? I see some people shaking their head. 
Uh, you know, most of the older people in the congregation are shaping, shaking their heads. Well, for us younger people in the congregation, uh, you know, eventually one of these days it's going to happen to us. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Before you know. Well, today's one of those days for me. There's been other times in my ministry that I have uh, you know, done and, and preached and done messages and lo and behold, whenever I get down to the third or fourth one, I can look and I'm like, wow, these all connect together. So I'm going to help you with this connection and I'm going to help you to see the connection and connect all of these things together to where we come to where we are here today. So this morning, I am going to be talking to you from the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, one of the things in the Gospel of John, we will find that this is the third time in the Gospel of John that Jesus appears to the disciples or appears to people within this. We know that on the resurrection day in the gospel of John, that Jesus is there with Mary in the garden. And one of the things that whenever we see that particular passage of scripture, we see that Mary falls at Jesus' feet and begins to hold onto his feet. And he tells her that you need to let me go because I have not gone to my correct place. I haven't gone to the Father Okay, so in Jesus, in seeing this, Jesus also is explaining to Mary the Jesus that you're hanging on to, the before death and before the resurrection, that Jesus is no longer here, so you need to turn loose of that old Jesus so that you can receive the new Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus that is perfect, the Jesus that is going to go and be with his Father, and he is going to intercede for us as he sits on the great throne. See, she had to turn loose of the worldly Jesus that she had been with for those three and a half years. And she had to turn loose of him so that she could accept the Jesus that he is. And it's the Jesus that we know today that is, like I just said, at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. So that's the first one. And the Gospel of John skips the trip or the road to Emmaus that I preached on last week. And he goes to the disciples behind the locked doors. I preached that message on Easter Sunday whenever I talked to us and I preached the message about the fact that in that moment in time, you know, fear had gripped the lives of the disciples and they were locked behind closed doors and because of that fear, they were not able to make it to Galilee, which is where Jesus told them that he would meet them. Fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the things that was going through their mind and their thought process as far as whether or not the religious leaders were going to kill them, or whether or not the Jewish or the Roman government was going to you know, capture them and kill them. Uh, you know, the fear of the fact that the man that they thought was the Messiah and was going to be the one that was going to save Israel, that he had died on the cross. And how that fear gripped them. But if you remember last week, I talked about the road to Emmaus. And on that trip and in that, we see and we get this understanding. And hopefully I gave you this because those two people, those two disciples, were headed in the wrong direction. See, they were not headed to where Jesus had told them to go. They were headed in the wrong direction. And there's a lot of times in our lives that we, we know Jesus, we've been with him for several years, 
But we all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, but more yet, all of a sudden we find that we are actually heading in the wrong direction. There's a lot of times that we wander off, as in we, we do just a little bit something that's different. And we get a little bit off, and then we get a little bit off, and the thing about it is, is that we will wander away from God a lot easier and a lot more more often than we actually step away from God and just simply refuse to do what He has for us to do. We kind of wander away. Well, they were headed in the wrong direction. And as they were headed in the wrong direction, Jesus shows up. But they didn't realize that it was Jesus. And then Jesus begins to talk to them. And I, there again, I, I thought that conversation is really interesting. But Jesus takes them into the Old Testament and shows them who the Messiah was supposed to be. Now, in our lives and in our walk, there's a lot of times that we are doing things that we think is what God has for us to do, and then all of a sudden we hear this word on our shoulder. It's, it's you know, the angel and then the devil. Uh, you know, and we, we finally hear the good voice, and the good voice reminds us of all the things that God has already done. Reminds us of the good things that he's brought us through. Reminds us of the struggles that he has taken us through. Reminds us of the blessings that he has poured out upon us. And those things begin to burn within our hearts. And it should bring us to that moment that we realize, wait a minute, I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn back to God and and actually do the things that he has me to do. Remember, they said after they sat there and Jesus broke the bread and they realized that it was the Messiah, it was Jesus Christ that was right there in front of them. He immediately left. In the scripture, in in the gospel of Mark, That goes into in-depth with this. It says that within the hour, they were headed back to Jerusalem. I can imagine that 95% of that within the hour was spent finishing dinner. Come on, because they went back home. How many of you would have left your mom's cooking? No, I'm finishing that, you know. For me, it's one of two things. It's either a tater tot casserole or it's red beans and rice. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to finish either one of those. And then I'm going to rush out the door. But the excitement that they had and they went back to Jerusalem. And this is where those two stories meet up with the gospel of Mark and then the gospel of John where they are there together behind the locked doors and as they're trying to get this story out of their mouth, Jesus shows up. In today's message, in verse 21 or chapter 21, let's look at this. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. I want you to notice where they are. They're beside the Sea of Galilee. Where they were supposed to be. He said, I will meet you in Galilee. But first... They were behind locked doors in Jerusalem. He met them. And he said, peace be with you. The peace that passes all understanding. In that passage of scripture, he says, peace be with you twice. The first time because he knew the struggles that they were having. 
And he knew that they needed peace in their lives at that moment in time. But he says, peace be with you before he leaves them. Because he knew the struggles that they were going to be facing later on down the road. Peace be with you. This morning I say, peace be with you. Regardless of the circumstances that's going on in your lives, regardless of where you are, peace be with you. We find them that they're in Galilee. And then it says, this is how it happened. So in other words, he sets it up and he tells you where they are. And now he's going to tell you how the sighting or how the appearance happened. So let's look into this. It says several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The others, well, we'll come with you. We'll come too. They all said, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you shall get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. So let's pause there for a moment and see where this is. So we know that they're in Galilee. Now the thing about this is, is Galilee is some day and a half to two days travel due north of Jerusalem. So the road to Emmaus, they were headed west. Now they're back on track and they're due north of Jerusalem and they're in Galilee where they were supposed to be. Now whenever we find them, there's no one that can tell us how long it had been since they had seen Jesus. There's no, I couldn't find it in any of my studies as far as how long it was. We know that that trip would take them about a day and a half to two days to get there. And I imagine on the day that they got there that they didn't jump into the boats that night and go off and go fishing. So let's just assume and let's just simply say that they left Jerusalem after Jesus met with them in the upper room. They got up that next morning and they took off. So that would have been sent, that would have been Sunday. So Monday they traveled, Tuesday they traveled, Wednesday night they went fishing. Thursday morning, Jesus is standing on the shore. Now, we don't know if that's really the timeline, but we do know and we can understand that Peter and some of the other disciples were going home to their area, to the area that they lived in, to a place that they were familiar with, if for no other reason but most of Jesus' ministry happened in and around Galilee. So they were familiar with that. I imagine Peter might have even slept in his own bed. And they get up the next day. I, some of y'all have little children and some of you have grandkids and, and you understand this thought process. Okay, because it doesn't take too long for your grandkids or your children to get tired or bored at what they're doing. Right? 
I had Talmadge with me this morning at the first service. And about five minutes after he was sitting at no women, after about five seconds after he was sitting in my lap, he was bored with that and he needed something else to do. So then he fanned me for about two seconds and then he walked on down to the ribbon and he wrote on the ribbon with a pencil I had given him for about another two seconds. And man, we weren't even through with introducing the first person, much less the rest of the service. But I, I need you to kind of grab this. Okay, don't get lost in the cuteness and the funniness of that. Because what, is, what we see here is that the disciples, for some odd reason, they're bored. Now, it could be, we know that Jesus was there for 40 days after his resurrection. It might be that they weren't, you know, that Jesus didn't show up on the seashore for at least another week or two weeks. We don't know that. But we get this indication that Peter was bored because he had no direction. Jesus hadn't told them everything that they needed and he didn't tell them about growing the church or even building the church. There's a lot of times for us, if we don't get directions, what do we do? We do our own thing. We go our own direction. Or we sit there and do nothing. Or we get bored and we go back and do the same thing that we used to be doing. Or that we were doing. Right? And if... No. I was going to say, if I don't have direction or anything to do, I just wander off on my, I just stay there. I'm one of those ones that can sit in the house for all day long, but at the end of that sitting in the house all day long, I'm like, man, I should have done something today. Right? Let's get on track. (laughs) Stay on track. For some reason, we find the disciples go back into the thing that they're comfortable with. For the church, for us as individuals, if we don't feel the drawing and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we begin to get bored and we begin to question on whether or not God is actually talking to me or if He's even cared about me. And then we eventually go back into the same old thing that we were comfortable with before we had even begun the walk with Christ. Do you see it? Peter's showing us, or John here is showing us this. But God gives us a direction. Now, before we go any further, I want to go ahead and I want to take care of these myths that's about this particular passage of Scripture. One of them is, is that this particular passage of Scripture, the whole chapter... 21 of the Gospel of John doesn't belong with the book. That the whole chapter 21 was actually written afterwards by someone else. Okay, so number one, I don't want you to get tangled up in that on whether it is or it isn't. But what we do find in chapter 21, we find in all of the other Gospels as in a commission from God to do His work. So regardless if it's supposed to be there or not, it still gives us that commission. The second thing and the myth that we have to get away with, and and there's absolutely nothing with the number 153. Okay, can I take you there? There's absolutely nothing that has to do with the number 153. Now you're like, Pastor, you haven't said anything about 153. That is the number of fish that is actually caught in the net. And we'll read that further on in the scripture. Okay, 
one person actually said that it was one fish for every species of fish back in that day. That doesn't compute because back in that time they said there was only 72 different species of fish. So that doesn't work. Then there was another scholar that said, well, the 153 represents the Trinity. I'm going to try to help you with your math on this one here. I saw some of the faces and stuff. Okay, so what you do is you take 150 and you divide it by 3, the Trinity. And then you add the 3 and you have 153. Does that not make sense to you? Okay, that goes to show you 153 has no value whatsoever. You know, so just simply scratch that number, 153. I'll get into the fact as far as what this number actually means for us today. Okay, so now I've done away with the myths, right? No, I haven't. Because there's another problem in there, because this is a passage of Scripture that has a word in there that from day one of studying to be a preacher that you never say from the pulpit. And it starts with an N. Does anybody know what that word is? Naked. Oh, I said it. It tells us that Peter had to put his clothes on because he was naked. Now, don't get caught up on whether Peter was naked or Peter had clothes on or whatever. I know that it would be really odd to have a group of seven men and one of them standing there with no clothes on. That would be very uncomfortable. Terry, don't picture it either, Terry. But we can't get caught up in those things because there's a particular message that we receive from this. And now you want me to go ahead and get into the message, right? Are you still caught up on all of those things there? Good. Let's go on into the message and let's continue to read some more. Because Jesus has told him to throw your nets onto the right-hand side of the boat. And then they threw it on the right-hand side of the boat. And there was so many fish that they couldn't even haul them in. Now, if you remember back to the 6th chapter of the Gospel of John, the same thing happened to them. Right? The same thing happened to Peter and them as they were out there in the boat. And then Jesus called them at that point in time to be fishers of men. But Peter didn't grab a hold to it. It was the disciple whom he loved that recognized who it was standing on the shore. So let's get into this. Verse 7. Then the disciple, Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. Do you think he whispered it? Mine has an explanation point. (laughs) Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic For he had been stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. For they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a coal fire. And some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish in the net, and yet the net had not torn. Now, come and have some breakfast. Jesus said, None of the disciples asked him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had been risen from the dead. 
So we see this. So this story goes on and begins to explain. And we see that John, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, recognized that it was Jesus. Didn't recognize that it was Jesus because of the voice. But recognized that it was Jesus because of the miraculous sign that was evident there. They hadn't caught anything all night long. Throw their nets over the right side of the boat. And they caught so many fish, there again, that they couldn't bring it on board. I think this is interesting. Peter has always been one of those ones that has spoken in haste or has voiced his concerns or said something without thinking. I think this is one of those moments where he takes his robe and he tightens it up around him so that he could swim more easily, jumps into the water. Did y'all kind of picture this? That the boat gets there about the same time that Peter gets there? Slow swimmer, fast rowers, don't know. But Jesus tells him to bring some of the fish that you had already caught. Peter goes, drags the net on shore, and then goes and has breakfast. The large crowd or the large group of fish. See, if we go back, remember you go back to chapter 6 to where Jesus first caused them to be disciples. And they catch this large group of fish. And then here today, they've gone back and they're now doing something that they're used to or something that they're comfortable in doing. And they catch a large number of fish. This has more to do with the abundance of the blessings of God than it has to do with the number of fish. It's just like whenever Jesus fed the 5,000, there were 12 baskets full. It's just like whenever he fed the 4,000 and there were 7 baskets full. The number of 153, it doesn't have to do with 153, it has to do with the multitude or the greatness of the blessings of God. But it also has and it represents for us that in those moments and times whenever we step out and we actually find ourselves doing things out of comfort or doing things because this is the way that we've always done and we hear someone say, throw your nets out to the other side. We will be blessed more than we could ever imagine because the blessings from heaven will always be greater than we could ever, than we could ever fathom. That whenever we trust in God Almighty, that He will bless our endeavors more than we could ever think that they could be. See, He blessed them more than they could ever think. Right here in this moment. And because of that blessing, they realized who it was. It says that whenever they got to the shore and they began to eat the breakfast that they had there, that he had there for them, none of them asked, who are you? Because they knew that it was Jesus Christ. Now, I don't pretend to know all this ins and outs and all the details. But the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, there was something different about it. 
Mary didn't recognize that it was Jesus until he called her name in the garden. The men on the road to Emmaus didn't realize that it was Jesus until he broke bread with them. The disciples in the locked rooms, whenever in the locked room, whenever Jesus showed up and he said, Peace be with you, he then began to speak to them and talk to them, and he showed them his wounds in his hands and his side. And then they realized who he was. And here, the writer of John says that none of them asked, Who are you? But they knew who it was. There was something about Jesus, about the resurrected Jesus, that was different. There was something about him. There was something about him that his disciples still had to search to understand what it was and who he was. There's still things that is different about Jesus today that we need to search and to make sure on who it is. We need to make sure that we're willing that whatever He asked us to cast the net to the right side of the boat that we do what He is asking us to do. That we are obedient to what He has for us. This morning I didn't tell you to go in past that particular passage of Scripture, but we look after this and this is where Jesus has this conversation with Peter. Whenever we hear this conversation with Peter, that he asked him three times, do you love me? And all three times, you know, Jesus uses a different word for love, but all three answers, Peter used the same word to describe love. We can look at this and we can see that Jesus wanted Peter to understand that yes, you denied me, but I still love you. Now, yes, we can look at this and say that Peter denied him three times, so Jesus had to afraid or had to give him this in three different times. So that Peter knew that each time that he denied Christ, that he was forgiven for each one of those. You can look at it that way, or you can look at it and you can see the depth of Jesus' love for Peter, even though Peter still didn't realize the depth of the love that Jesus Christ had for him. But we can also look at this and we can see the depth of love that Jesus Christ has for each and every one of us. The Almighty God can only love In one way. And that is in his almightiness. He doesn't love a sinner. At a different level. Than he loves a saint. He only has one level. Of love. And the love that he has for us calls us, calls us to Him, calls us to have a right relationship with God the Father because of our sin and because that that has separated us from Him. But although He has gone to the cross to take care of that sin, to pay the debt for our sins, He is calling us through His love in that. But He's calling us 
is calling us to take care of his sheep. Now, he's not calling the pastor to take care of his sheep. He's calling everybody. He's calling all of us. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Have a question? Don't need to answer it out loud? Who is his sheep? We're to take care of all of them. All of his sheep. To answer that question for you, it's every single person that has ever lived or will ever live on this earth. They are all his sheep. And we're supposed to take care of them. Because there's two flocks. All sheep, two flocks. I'm going to leave that for another part of another message. But for us today... In those moments and times in our lives that we feel that God's not moving or working in this world, we cannot revert back to where we were comfortable. We have to continue to press forward with the things that He has called us to do. The church, the church in this pandemic and and in the way that this world is ever-changing, we can't go back to the way that it was comfortable. We have to continue to move forward and we have to continue to do the work that God has called us to do. There's times that he's going to tell us to cast our nets to the right side of the boat. And we have to be willing to obey and to cast our nets to the right side of the boat. So that means that if we cast our nets to the left side of the boat, that sometimes we have to be willing to go ahead and take those nets up on the right side, on the left side of the boat and try something on the right side of the boat. But anything that is done through the direction of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be blessed in a multitude or multiplied because He is in it. So the message this morning, Kelly and them sung the song, uh, you know, um, the glorious church. And whenever he says the glorious church, I'm like, without spot or wrinkle. The glorious church. We have to obey and we have to listen to what God truly has for us. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for today. God, I thank you for the words that you have given to us here in this passage of Scripture. And God, as we see this, once again, as on the road to Emmaus and is here, we see the intimate relationship that you want to have with each and every one of us. As with the ones on the road to Emmaus, you went to their home and you ate dinner with them. And the disciples here, you sat down 
and you had breakfast with them. Because you want to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. As we listen to your call upon our lives. And as we do the work that you have for us to do. As we build your church. As we grow the kingdom of God. For your glory. And your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I do want to thank you all for being here today. Be mindful of the uh, sponsorship and stuff for the, uh, for the teens.